Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Laura Risk. We recorded this at the Valley of the Moon Scottish Fiddling Camp in the Santa Cruz Mountains. Shout out to Alastair Fraser and everyone at Valley of the Moon. It was an honor to be the first old-time banjo instructor on staff at your Scottish fiddling camp uh, in 40 years of your camp existing. I had a blast because you're all so great. I'll come back anytime you'll have me, just let me know. Just a couple announcements before we get started. Tall Poppy is going on tour in a couple weeks. We're playing Lancaster, Allentown, and Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania. Uh, the IBMA Street Fair in Raleigh, North Carolina, Hamlin Street Diner in D.C., Brad Kalodner's house in Baltimore, and Honky Tonk on Hazel in West Philly. Tickets and info at tallpoppystringband.com slash shows. I hope to see you there, especially the Pittsburgh show, because I think we'll have the least amount of built-in audience there. So if you're in the Pittsburgh area or you got friends there, please come on out and tell your friends. Then when I get home, I'll be teaching a four-part online banjo workshop series on old-time songs. We'll be learning Ola Bell Reed, Roscoe Holcomb, and more. Sign up now to get the early bird rate at CameronDeWitt.com store. All that's linked in the show notes for this episode. Stick around afterwards to hear how to keep up with this week's guest. But first, here's my interview and jam with Laura Risk. Enjoy. Welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Glad to be here. This is uh, normally an old-time music podcast, but throughout the course of doing this show since 2016, I've realized that the term old-time is sort of meaningless (laughs) and a bit of a Rorschach test. And uh, yeah, the more that I, especially the more that I get into other fiddle traditions like of this continent the more I feel like oh this feels like old time music too 
mm. in a way yeah. that feels separate from the music of other continents, I guess. And I can't necessarily put my finger on why, but I have especially enjoyed learning Canadian tunes. Uh, and there's something that feels like it's connected between uh, old-time music's sensibilities around phrase and rhythm um, and, like, when I've played Quebecois tunes or Métis tunes or Acadian tunes. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know what it is, but I feel like I I feel like I, I get the joke. <laughs> like, because I play old-time music or just enough in order to be able to, to jump in. Maybe starting from the fact that there's a... Not that all tunes are crooked, but there's a potential aesthetic of crookedness, maybe, in the repertoire, like the tune that we just played. Um, what did we just play? We played Grandeuse at Elzeard. Um, Grandeuse is like, um, probably the best known one is Growling Old Man and Grumbling Old Woman. Like, in other words, yeah. a Grandeuse is a type of tune that um, has a low part and a high part, like lots of tunes, but where there's... The idea is there's two people arguing. Oh, um, very good. I love that. So, Are you um, saying the tune, Growling Old Man and Grumbling Old Woman, or is it reversed? Or whatever. Or whatever. Is that a Canadian tune as well? I know that we played in old-time music. Um, I don't know the origins of that tune. Yeah, okay. There's definitely versions of it that are played in Quebec, for yeah, sure. Yeah, cool. I had no but, idea. Um, yeah, but um, where that one comes from, I don't know. But this tune, Grandusel I... Um, I learned from the plane of Eric Favreau, who's a really fantastic fiddler, lives in the Quebec City area, and um, and has just also done a lot of kind of collecting and studying of the repertoire, and and um, and just has a fantastic has a fantastic repertoire that he's he's learned from other fiddlers, from, especially from older fiddlers, and 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 passed on himself, so. That one comes from his plane. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm glad you gave me the context for... I didn't know that was a whole genre. Of, I don't yeah. know if it's a genre. It's maybe just a, <laughs> like a sub-sub-sub-genre. Sub, sub, yeah. sub, sub yeah. <laughs> that, there's that there's different tunes that are grandus. Uh, somebody, which would really just mean like a grandus played by this person. Yeah. Okay. You know, or of that person. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'll have to get... Yeah. Um, I'll have to have you write down the titles. I'll write down the titles. So I can actually... Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can find... <laughs> tried to do that before. No, no, I'll write Search down. for them. And, yeah. Yeah, it has such an interesting form. Uh, I had to not count. It's one of those things where it's like, I'm not sure if it is... Is it crooked? Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think... You know, I have to say I've never counted that tune myself. Yeah. We could... We it could felt like I would... Figure it out. I would lose it if I tried to... Yeah. Intellectualize it in the moment. I'm pretty sure it's crooked. Uh, <laughs> I think once I get to a tune where I'm just counting in one all the time. Yeah. Like that oh tune God. for me is just a one. Well, you know? I do know. That's how I teach old time music. They're like, some of my students, especially ones that are musically trained, are like, so what, what time signature is this in? It's in one. Uh huh. <laughs> I say that too. Yeah, I mean, like a tune. Yeah, if you were going to write it out then you probably wouldn't write it in one. That would look maybe weird on the uh-huh. page. But the but trying to write like the idea of thinking of it in I don't know, group these are four this is a group of four and this is a group of three and then this is four and five or whatever 
that feels like to me like it could potentially it could suggest that certain notes or beats are are more important because they're at the beginning of some arbitrarily defined right. bar line. Um, and in this tune, I don't feel like I don't feel that really. Do you just feel the parts and you feel the one? And there's other crooked tunes where it is it's more or less in four, but then there's five at the end of a part. Like there's some extra bit added on, and then that. I feel like maybe there is that kind of hierarchy of which beats are, are stronger. Yeah. But in this tune... It's baked in. It's, yeah, it feels like the line dictates that it's this many beats. Yes, yeah. And and yeah. whereas maybe some other tunes, it feels like there's this, like, rest at the end. Yeah. Uh, and that's maybe where the crookedness could come. But this one, it's like, I don't know how I would straighten that out for a square dance. I don't think one could. Yeah, yeah, there's not an obviously straight version of that tune. Um, speaking of, maybe I'll just mention. Please. If you really want to go really deep into crookedness, into fiddle tunes, and if you read French. I don't, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> there's a, a great um, musician and scholar named Jean Duval who wrote his entire um, doctoral dissertation on Crooked Tunes in Quebec. Okay, cool. And he kind of catalogs different types of crookedness. Uh, and he names them all, which is which is really lovely, too. Um, so, but he talks about, yeah, for instance, say, if you have a, a tune that feels relatively square, and then there's just something added to the end. That's right. one type of crookedness. And then there's another type where maybe there's something added to the beginning, or something in the middle of the phrase... Or he, anyways, he's he actually just went through hundreds, probably thousands of tunes and looked at the ways they were crooked. That's so great, and it's fantastic. Yeah, I'll just mention that. Yeah, I wish I could uh, read French. It's I'm, it's probably not translated. Google Translate, <laughs> so, I guess. Okay, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's not translated. Maybe someday. When did yeah. you start playing fiddle? Fiddle or violin? Great. <laughs> counter question <laughs> uh, you, you tell me like okay. a violin kid violinist kid I was I think about eight seven eight something like that my parents I grew up in San Francisco my parents signed me up for Suzuki violin lessons it was good I was into it as you are at that age and um, but I got into fiddling when I was 13 and I came to this camp the Valley of the Moon oh my God. Scottish Fiddling School at 13 uh, I, I came, my family was, was not into fiddling. In fact, I would say they probably didn't know what it was. But I had a really close friend um, who's, um, who was also taking violin with me. And um, uh, we were both taking classical violin. And her parents were interested in Irish fiddling and had signed her up for violin for Irish fiddle yeah. lessons in San yeah. Francisco. And... And she came to this camp as a babysitter for her Irish fiddling teacher. Um, my friend's name is Athena, Athena Turditz. Um, so um, Athena came one year, and then she loved it, and she brought me the next year. Mm. And um, I just got into, I got into Scottish fiddling um, for the camp. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, I love that. This camp has been going for so long. Yeah, that was in the know. 1980s. Yeah. Like that, late 80s. Amazing. Um, yeah, and then I, um, so I played Scottish 
I mean, I still play Scottish fiddle. I shouldn't put that in the past tense. <laughs> but I, I started out really focusing on playing a lot of Scottish fiddle music and then um, explored some other related styles, including, I guess I could say, a, a very brief moment, a um, few years when I played with the band called Cordelia's Dad and... Um, we did some old-time tunes. Okay. And I, I did a lot of listening and playing and learning. But I wouldn't definitely would not say I'm an old-time player. Okay. I think. And that band did more kind of uh, New England, like sort of Northeast oh, sure. yeah. roots music. But we had a few. We played some Clyde Davenport tunes. Oh, lovely. Actually, yeah. Because I re- really loved his playing and, and that repertoire. And, um, and then, but then I'm, I moved to Quebec in 2001, and um, been really into that music. Yeah, why'd you move there? Because I had this relationship. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you actually, there for a special person. A special person yeah. who's now my husband. Yeah, so that great. Was a, that was a good. It was a good one. It was a good call. I was living in Boston yeah. at the time, and um, yeah, so not that far from yeah. Montreal. And and yeah. that's when you started getting into. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, you know, I knew a few tunes for oh. sure, and I, I think I had one cassette tape of Louis Pitou Boutreau, who's a great fiddler um, from the uh, from the Saguenay area. Um, so I like learned some of those tunes, and I knew some other tunes from like playing for contra dancing and things. There's there's some of that repertoire that circulates, but um, but it was really being there, being part of the scene. Going to sessions, um, meeting older fiddlers. Um, I lived across the back alley, uh, and then next door <laughs> to a great older fiddler mm. in Montreal. And um, so there was just being in it, and and also loving it, and being fascinated by it, and kind of the intersection of the music and the culture and the language and uh, the politics and identity questions, like all of that. I s- sort of uh, um, it's um, there, it's very it's just so rich, like the way the traditional music and the mm. um, connects to people and culture and sense of place and all of that. Yeah. So it sounds like it sounds like you were sort of compelled to settle down a bit into a genre just because you found a new home and. We're connecting it to your environment as opposed to a separated environment like Valley of the Moon. Hmm, that's an interesting, yeah, yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I mean, like I said, I still play lots of Scottish music and, and professionally performing uh, for years and years. I performed Scottish music on stage, but I wouldn't, I wasn't performing Quebecois tunes, but then I'd go home and just play in the Quebecois yeah. sessions. Hmm. It took me a long time to feel like I felt like I was ready to 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 play those that repertoire um, in a public setting. Yeah, oh. I felt like I I needed some time with it. Yeah, and and yeah, and it's been a really different experience for me than playing Scottish music. Uh, I mean, I've spent some time in Scotland, and I. Feel like I know know that scene, but I've never lived in it in that same way. Yeah. Um, hmm. You know, like waking up and reading the newspaper, 
in French and kind of thinking about day-to-day -day questions of life in Quebec and playing the music. There is, I find there's something a little different there. Yeah, that makes sense. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think being able to understand the context that a music came out of um, can really help with appreciation for it um, and can make it feel, like, relevant. Mm. Yeah, or, like, I mean, even you're talking about, like, this sub-sub-sub-genre of, of tune, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, you're, oh, this is a tune about a, a bickering couple or whatever, and then hearing a couple bickering in the street in that <laughs> same language and culture that the tune came out of and, like, putting hmm. pieces together. I don't know. Well, I've never made that connection with bickering couples, including my own, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, no, but, uh, yeah, I mean, well, if we want to go down that road of like, what did you call this? A, an away? I, I guess it's, a, it's like a separated, separated yeah. space. Yeah. I, um, wow. I love this conversation. Oh, good. Um, <laughs> Thank God. is it okay if we go down that road? Yeah. Let's, uh, let's play a tune and then let's, let's go down that road. Okay. Um, it's time for another tune. Okay. This is another one. I think we played the other night. That's really fun. It's not crooked, but it has a little moment that maybe feels possibly crooked. Okay. to go and then have that be a question Results. phrase and then oh. the, the next time through go yeah but no no this is a, an accordion tune okay so the accordion fiddle and accordion those are the big melody instruments in Quebec and this is a um, tune composed by a great accordion player named Philippe Bruno. This tune is called Hommage à Gaston Nodet, and um, Philippe Bruno wrote, um, he wrote lots of tunes, fan like fantastic tunes. He sort of, it's just like a, you know, 
an incredible composer of accordion repertoire, which most of which translates really well to the fiddle. And most of his tunes are, um, the titles begin with homage a, so homage to some mm. person or another. Yeah. And, he, and he wrote many tunes that are homages to different um, accordion players. Mm. And often he wrote those tunes in a style, like, I guess I'd say a, a tune that would be similar to what that accordion player yeah. might like to play. Yeah. So, that's, yeah, that's Gaston really Nodet is, is a great accordion player who actually I was yeah. hanging out with last week. And, um, and this is a tune for him. That's so sweet. I like the idea yeah. that it's almost something like, I know you like this meal. I'm going to cook this meal for you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> I know what you like. It's like the ultimate sort of compliment. You get to be seen and you get a present. Yeah. And <laughs> Philippe Bruno moved to France um, and, uh, you know, spent the last part of his life there. And, and um, so he would record himself. He would make cassette players. Uh, not cassette players, sorry. He would make cassettes for players, for musicians. And he would, uh, so he'd be, you know, make like a 30-minute cassette of himself playing a bunch of tunes that he thought somebody, an accordion player back in Quebec, might like. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I was asking Gaston, you know, about, he was telling me about this tune. And, and he's like, yeah, I just got this cassette from Philip and it had this tune on it. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> He, he never said, oh, I have a tune for you, know, or I wrote this tune for you. It was just, he just got this, um, Gaston just got this cassette in the mail, I guess, that yeah. happened to have. And then as he was listening to it, he's like, oh, it's an homage for me. It's so nice. So, yeah. Before we got into this tune, you're, you had some thoughts about the separate space of Valley of the Moon versus living in a space and playing the music of that yeah. That culture. Speak on that. Well, maybe the first thing I'll say is I feel like this is a question that's going to occupy me for my whole life. Mm. So I don't really have an answer. Um, but I find that, that space really fascinating. And it's, it says, to me, it's, to me what it, it has something to do with the way we define tradition. Yeah. Because... Uh, Often traditional music, I sometimes I think of it as like a triangle, you know, or like you have three three elements. There's the music, there's some group of people, right. and there's a land. There's some land. Right. And we have this sense that somehow the, these people belong on this land and the music is, well, there's different ways we frame it. Sometimes we say... Um, the music grew out of the people in the land, or we say, and I'm saying we, we as maybe the folklorists, sure, <laughs> the, the long, the long line of trying to do meaning making. Yeah. yeah and this. I should mention that I have a degree in musicology, uh -huh. <laughs> so I got to count myself self, among yeah, the academics here. A self-critical folklore. Yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> uh, I don't have a degree in folklore, yeah. but I have le read a lot of folklore and I, uh, I've hung out with some folklorists. <laughs> Um, but, um, yeah, this, so this, you know, the idea that a group of people are connected, uh, rooted in a particular geographic place and that the music springs from that connection, which of course, sort of by definition 
it means that there are other people who don't belong. There right. might be other people on that land. Right. Uh, that could be immigrants, that could be um, minority populations, yep. that could be like, there's a long history of belonging and not belonging and how that connects to land. Yeah. And, and traditional music sometimes can be used to assert the connection of a certain group of people to a certain piece of land. Sure. Um, so, yeah. you know, there's that history. Um, so there's, I feel like, try to carry some awareness of that history and then also uh, uh, recognition that, you know, a lot of the contexts that we play music, traditional music in today, are coming out of uh, folk revival movements. Right. And that in some, to some sense, in some degree, just have a very different view of, well, that might be starting from some of those ideas, um, but also... Oh, it's so complicated. I want to hear, hear what you think about this too. Like, it's know. like, you know, like I grew up in California, you know, yeah. and I'm not Scottish or Quebecois at all. My family, like there's like, you know, the idea that because connect when you, once you start talking about people and land and, and music, like you also start talking about blood uh-huh. and <laughs> yeah. music can run through the blood or whatever that is. And, yeah. and I'll, I'll be the first to say, I don't have that blood. Yeah. Like, that's not, you know, like I don't, I don't have those bloodlines. Um, and so this, so, uh, and I moved to Quebec and I've lived in Quebec for, you know, over 20 years, but, um, but I'm not from there and I, uh, and I play that music and I'm feel like I'm really in the scene, but I'm, uh, I'm also the American, I'm, I'm an American in that scene. Sure. And, Does and I'm get, an do Anglophone. they bring that up a lot? No, okay. <laughs> no, not at all. Cool, cool. But I'm just, um, actually, the, the most wonderful thing for me is when people call me Lisa by mistake, which means, which like, I interpret as... In yeah, exactly. That's a huge compliment. compliment. Holy shit. I'm like, yeah. wow, go ahead, call me yeah. Lisa. <laughs> I don't mind. It's like, that's, that's to me like, oh, okay. If, you, if you're putting me in the same bucket as Lisa, I, no wow. complaints. Yeah. So, um, um but, you know, Lisa and I are both Americans who um, love Quebecois music and have spent a lot of time playing it and, and studying it in, in different ways. And so, um, so that, I've, yeah, I feel like that in, the sort of inside-outside space is really, I find that fascinating because I, I guess I'm just often occupying that space. Yeah. Whereas um, uh, there's the other there's there's the other versions of that there's you know there's the the there's the being born into it and there's also the you know really doing it through fiddle camps and not and really not um not being in the place and i and i'm not i'm not going to say one better or worse than or anything they're just very different experiences um maybe it just feels like a different way of feeling the music or or knowing the music yeah, um, but there's plenty, so many people in Quebec who have no, who don't play the music. Obviously. Right, right. <laughs> Even know? though it's in their blood, yeah. ostensibly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, forget. <laughs> I'm. I'm just gonna go on record saying I don't believe in the blood thing. I don't believe but, in that either. Yeah, I'm being tongue Yeah. But um, it's problematic, super fast. So problematic, so fast. <laughs> but at the same time, yeah. Uh, 
I have an academic side of my life. So on the academic side, this is actually a lot of what I think about and write about yeah. is, um, is that, yeah, it's so problematic. And at the same time, uh, part, I feel like part of what we do, okay, I want to know what you think about this. Okay. For me, I feel like part of what we do as traditional musicians is kind of play with that history. Yeah. So we're playing with the tunes and, you know, that, like the, the melody, the chords, like there's there's that, but there's also the long history of it, and that is often part of what I, I think what might pull somebody into the music, yeah, or part or and maybe part of what you have to negotiate as you're playing it. I don't know. Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Aaron Marshall, yeah, came on the show years ago. And I think had, like, one of the most lovely and useful metaphors for, like, traditional music, which is family recipes. Mm. Uh, I really appreciated that because, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. the recipes are going to change depending on who's cooking and who they're cooking for. And at some point that just sort of has to be, okay, Aaron, I'm sorry if I'm overextending your metaphor. Uh, (laughs) Something I've been thinking about a little bit or a lot of it from getting into old time music and also just being a person (laughs) in the world is uh, the cultivation of desire and taste. Mm. Um, So like when I go and like compete at a banjo contest and then I'm thinking, what do I want to play? And then I'm thinking, what do they want me to play? Yeah. And trying to like, trying to open myself up to the idea that if I if I learn how to play something in the way that other people like it, who may have a more innate understanding of mm-hmm. what it is that we're ostensibly all doing here, then maybe I might be able to develop my palate in a way that I'll be glad that I did. Um, like there's certain ways that I used to approach old time music like 10 years ago, or even at the beginning of this podcast, uh, I don't feel compelled to do that anymore, <laughs> or as much as I used to, to to be playful with it in, in certain ways. And I feel like the ways that I'm being playful now uh, are a much higher context. Uh, and hmm. it's not necessarily, like, better or worse, but, like, I don't know. I feel like I've benefited from a certain amount of submission, to like, what what do you all think is special about this? And so that I can understand, and then I'm able to enjoy things in common with other people in you know old time music. But then also at the end of the day, I'm not I'm not trying to pretend that I have always understood. Or that it's in my blood or something. Right. Or that I didn't come from somewhere else. Mm. And that gets to be okay, too. Like, I don't have to cull any of my desires. I just have to, like, to, to, to some extent submit to, like, the consensus of the community while also, in my own ways, inevitably subverting <laughs> what people want <laughs> out of this music. Because yeah. that's also traditional. I guess. And then, you know, and then adding the identitarian politics to it all is a whole other thing that at this point, I just have no idea. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to do about that. People were playing Fiddle of Banjo in Oregon, but where I'm from, you know, mm. but uh, it's hard to draw some sort of simple lineage out of it. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, there's a great book by Tess Leminski. Have you seen this book called Trad Nation? Yeah. About, about Irish music, but, um, I'm going to really oversimplify this, but the, Please. but, um, in addition to lots of really awesome history and, and she that just, she's, yeah, it's just fantastic, uh, study of Irish music in the 20th century. But, um, she, what's the, the tagline of this book is something like how Irish should Irish music be or ah. how Irish is Irish music or something like this. But really she's saying, you know, uh, when she comes to, you know, when you get to the last chapter, she's more or less saying like, when are we going to, um, when are we going to remove ethnic nationalism from Irish traditional music? Yeah. Wow. Uh, like when are we going to stop assuming that people who look a certain way, mm-hmm. uh, are more belong more in this music than other people or people who have, you know, certain lineages, um, yeah. belong more, but it is also actually looking a certain way. Yeah. Uh, and, um, it's a great book. It was a great, I loved reading oh. it. And at the end of it, I was like, good luck, Tess. <laughs> <laughs> good luck out there. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, not that I, <laughs> I, yeah. I just, I was just thinking like, if you take like traditional music, the, I, this music existed long before, uh, it was associated with ethnic nationalism. A lot of right. these tunes go right. back before yeah. that, but this is what I'm trying to say, like, like the part of it that we're also playing, like we're playing the tunes and we're playing our complex relationships to the fact that traditional music is linked to ethnic nationalism. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but, uh, but that's also because we're doing it in a public setting. And I think people who, um, actually, I feel like, you know, when I've, when I've hung out with people who just play music in, in their family and, and in the community, it's not like that. It's just music. Yeah. Um, you don't see that much, as much these days, I think. But Thanks for talking about that. Uh, often people, like, get, like, nervous when that topic gets brought up <laughs> on the show. They're like, uh, well, it's just like everyone should get along. And people don't actually say that. But, like, you know, it's, like, a tricky thing to talk about. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe just before we play this, I'll just say. Yeah. Um, yeah, I um as I was saying I'm not Scottish or Quebecois. My my dad is Arab American and my mom's German Jewish. So um I look what however I look to people, but I think for a certain for for some people they're like, You don't quite look Scottish or whatever. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. dark curly hair and all this yeah. kind of thing. And uh so I feel like I've I've gotten enough of those questions of right. how did you why are you playing this music? Yeah. That, uh, it's, yeah, it's made me just have to think about it. Yeah. And, but I also yeah. it could, it maybe made me enjoy trying to have that conversation with other people. Yeah. Um, cause I think off, you know, a lot of us are ask are asking those questions in different ways and for different reasons. Sure. Yeah. And it's not just that. I mean, I also grew up in California. Right. So. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. I guess both, yeah. both sides of your heritage also have, uh complicated relationships with music and 
ethnic identity and and land and who get and land super and land yeah and who and who gets to play what and when and yes yeah uh, yeah so yeah i think we should play a tune from douglas town i'll tell you about douglas town after we play it but um i've been thinking about this tune because i learned it from a guy who um who just died like this week oh no yeah i'm so sorry yeah well he was 93 had a wonderful long life. Huh. But um, can I play this tune for yeah, you? Yeah, please. Such so a beautiful good. melody, isn't Eva's it? Tune? Eva's tune. Yeah, it's really nice. Can I tell you about that tune? Please. I learned that from Ernest Drowdy, D-R-O-D-Y, Spittler, um, from Douglastown in Quebec. It's a little town. It's just to the south of the of the town of Gaspé, which is. So if you were in Montreal and you drove up the Gaspé Peninsula, so on the south side of the St. Lawrence River, um, and you went all the way to the end where you were going to hit the Atlantic Ocean and maybe look out toward, I don't know, um, Nova Scotia <laughs> or Newfoundland or Prince Edward Island or, you know, sort of, the, but, well, not directly toward Prince Edward Island. But anyways, that general <laughs> end of the St. Lawrence River uh, the town of Gaspé is right about at the end, and Douglas Town is just to the south of it. About, I think it's about twenty kilometers. And um, I first went to Douglas Town in uh, twenty ten. Um, it was I was just starting um, my graduate studies, musicology, and. Um, the community center in Douglastown had gotten a small grant to do a oral history project about fiddling and dancing and singing and music in the community. Um, and just by a nice set of coincidences and, um, I ended up, um, being invited to, um, to go and kind of help out kind of, be an assistant, I guess, for some of the 
interviews that were happening during this one week. They had a, a week-long festival at the time called Irish Week. So I should say this is in Quebec, but which is majority francophone, but there's um, lots of en English-speaking communities as well. And Douglastown was uh, historically more of an Anglophone community. I mean, mixed all the way, yeah, um, sure. you know, like um, co a combination of Mi'kmaq, which is the indigenous population, and then Anglophone settlers, a lot of loyalists who left the United States after it gained its independence and wanted to go to a place that was still run by the British. That's funny. <laughs> uh, and, um, and then there had been French, and there were also from, from, the, um, from Jersey, the Jersey... Islands. Um, anyways, there's a, it's like it's. A, I'm only familiar with the the new one. Actually, uh, not yeah. wrong, wrong Jersey. Yeah. This is like between Britain and France. Like so. Um, yeah. So, anyways, there was there's like a you know 200 years of like different types of settlement and and but it was majority Anglophone for a long time. Um, and and now it's pretty pretty well mixed, like French and English. Um, and when I first started going, then. Um, the community center was really trying to um, to document an older history of, of of traditional music and dance that had happened in the community, um, and I got involved at the very early stages of what ended up being the CD project of making a, a CD of archival recordings from the town. And this was not a town like no folklorist had shown up with their recorder to make those archival recordings. Yeah. But we had the recordings because people had recorded themselves. Yeah. Uh, not because they thought anybody outside of the community would be interested. And in fact, um, me and Glenn Patterson, who was the, another fiddle, great fiddler, um, we ended up co-producing this CD. And we're both from, you know, from outside of Douglastown. And, and at first, there was that sense of surprise, I think, that Wow, how, why are these two fiddlers from outside yeah. of our community interested in our music? Yeah. Um, and, but people had recorded themselves because um, there had been a lot of out-migration for work because uh, it was primarily a fishing and lumber and, um, and there had been some mining and not too far away. And, um, but all of those industries, um, uh, you know, had up and down moments, and, and there were and there were moments where there was a lot of out migration for work to, to Montreal, to New Jersey, the other Jersey, uh, Vancouver, like wherever people people left found their work Toronto, um, might come back to Douglastown in the summers, and uh, and so it was a community where where uh, often people would record um, they might record their house party or they might record you know the aunt or the uncle who was playing yeah. music and yeah. then they'd make a cassette tape and yeah. send it to somebody who had moved away hmm. um, like you might send a holiday card yeah um, and then there was yeah it was really really sweet and and then people would have these cassette tapes and then they'd make compilations like their own mixtapes of their favorite songs sung by you know their neighbors yeah. <laughs> um, or themselves and anyways, we just started working with the community and, and uh, uh, digitizing uh, and um, giving back the originals, obviously, but also digital copies and talking with people about the repertoire and, and eventually made this, this recording, the CD, that kind of like a musical portrait of 
of Douglas Town. Mm. And um, coming back to this tune, in all of that, uh, when I first started going there, there was there were several fiddlers who had moved away and would come back in the summer, and um, and I would see them when I'd be there in the summer. But there was one fiddler who just had stayed in the town, and that was Ernest. Um, and he used to play a lot for dancing um, back in the day. But when I when I met him, he was um, he wasn't playing out very much. Um, and um, but I just had some just just amazing times just sitting in his kitchen, mm. me and Glenn Patterson, and often Brian Morris, who's the son of a he's a guitar player and he's the son of a a great Douglastown fiddler who. Um, who's no longer living, but, um, and we'd sit there and we'd play tunes and, and Ernest would tell us stories about playing for dancing or all kinds of shenanigans people would get up to. Mm. And, um, at one point he played this tune, Eva's tune, which he learned from his father, Charlie Drowdy, who was born in the 1880s. And, uh, the story Ernest always would tell was that, um, that uh, a lot of, back in the day, so I, I assume this is, um, well, he was born in 1930, so I assume this is, we're talking about maybe the late 30s, 40s, yeah. <laughs> that there were, there were dances in neighboring villages. There wasn't one in Douglastown at the time. Um, and so the, the local youth <laughs> would go out to the dance in, in the neighboring village and, and uh, and when it was over, they'd come back to Douglastown and, and um, want more dancing. Yeah. So they'd go knock on the on the doors of all the fiddlers in town <laughs> and wake them up. And <laughs> so Ernest just tells us, he talks about being uh, like six years old, you know, and his bedroom was right, he was sleeping right above the kitchen. And yeah. I guess they would come and knock on the door and wake up his father and have his his father come down into his own kitchen and play for a square set in his own kitchen at probably two in the morning yeah. for this group of dancers. And then after he played for them, they would go on to the next fiddler's house. Oh my God. So Ernest said, and you he, know, did he like doing that? His or father was he annoyed. Or well, I asked Ernest, I said, what did you, how did your father feel about that? And he said to me, uh, he said that his father would always say, those were the, that was those were the best times of my life, mm. and I guess when you think about it, like, like it was not an easy life. You know, it was like fishing in those years. It was like fishing, sort yeah. of subsistence farming, lumbering in the winter. Even though it's twenty kilometers from Gas Bay, at the time the roads were not cleared in the winter. Yeah, you know, so it was like it was a remote, rural community uh, where people were getting by as they could right and hard playing. high stakes work yes yeah. yeah and you know it's 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 really cold and really snowy in the winter and you know it's like um the growing season is short and like everything is it's a you know it's a it was a lot of work living was a lot of work mm. and i guess i could imagine that playing fiddle tunes in your kitchen at two in the morning was um was wonderful yeah i'm imagining doing that much like physical labor working that hard and that long uh just to make sure that you know 
your family and your community is going to survive when the roads get all iced over. Mm-hmm. Getting woken up in the middle of the night and... <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just like, you must be so exhausted, you know? And on the other hand, you must be so hungry for fun mm. and and community Yeah, that, like, you would maybe sacrifice having a really shitty day at work the next day in order to play for some rowdy teens in the middle of the night <laughs> in your own kitchen. And then I think you'd go back to bed. Yeah. You know, they do. Sounds, sound, my impression was they might do a dance, you know, so right. maybe 20 minutes or something. I don't know how long, yeah. maybe, maybe more. <laughs> and I never got all the details, but, yeah. but Ernest did say that he knew all of his father's repertoire very early on because his bedroom was right, right above this. Yeah. Um, hmm. So... Anyways, that's lovely. He was uh, he's a special guy. We got, I think, about about ten minutes. Oh until, my gosh, uh, twelve minutes. Okay, twelve minutes. You want to get two more tunes in? Yeah, let's do two more tunes. Let's okay. do a tune, then we'll say it real quick where people go to buy your stuff or see you play, and then uh, we'll play a final tune. Okay, what should we play? Because we played three so far, right? Yeah. Yeah. Great. So we could do. Um, well, I could give you another one from Ernest. Please, yeah. This one is pretty crooked. Okay. It's not that bad, actually. What key is it in? E minor. Okay. I'm trying to keep you from having to retune, so I think that would maybe work. Yeah. <laughs> one, Jody's. Or yeah. uh, we call it Charlie Jody's. That was Ernest's father. That's so cool. He played that, that tune. But so dramatic. It is. It would be just what I wanted if I was a rowdy teen. I don't know if you could... Can, <laughs> I don't think you can square dance to that one. Yeah. You could ste- step dance to that one. Um, well, yeah. we have time for one more, but before we go, where do people go to follow you? Make sure they're up to date on Laura Risk musical endeavors my website is probably best lauravisk.com um and then i have links to other things there um yeah music new recording actually oh coming out uh just just came out out. just came out yeah it's called traverse yeah some of these tunes on it and um i'm not a big social media -er. (laughs) 
but I do post some things on Facebook when I have gigs coming up. But really, yeah. my website. Website, great. And Bandcamp. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad I got to meet you. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah, this has been so great. Awesome. Uh, yeah, the Camera Pro Jam at the bar, I think two nights ago. So great and so fun. And uh, I was like, I need to make an exception for, <laughs> <laughs> for this person. <laughs> Let's, I'm I think we can make it work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what should we play for our final tune? That's a good question. I've been trying to figure that one out. Let me think about that one for a second. We'll scurry to our classes. Yeah. Okay, right? Oh, yeah, we're good. Ah. Okay. Um, the, at the bar, we played uh, some really classic repertoire. Yeah, let's do some Can we classic. hit one of those? Yeah. Okay. So I don't we, know which ones are chestnuts and which ones are well, deep cuts. So. We played um, Fleur de Montregor, okay. which is a composition by Michel Bordelot, who was a... Was, played in the band La Boutine Surian for a long time. He was the, he was, well, multi-instrumentalist and also the foot tapper. Yeah. <laughs> but he, um, he's a great fiddle player himself. And he wrote this tune, which is, which has definitely become a classic. Mm. It's an A. Okay. Is that going to be a problem? It's a little crooked. Okay. Come on. Thank you. 
Check out laurarisk.com to get her new album, Traverse, and to find out more about her and her music. That's linked in the show notes. Support this podcast at patreon.com slash getupinthecool, also linked in the show notes, along with links to sign up for banjo lessons with me, pitchforkbanjo.com, my Clawhammer instructional video series, and my old-time trio, Tall Poppy String Band. Oh, and I'll also put a link for my upcoming old-time songs banjo workshop series. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up in the Cool.